0: morning and thank you for joining us for our easter celebration i know this isn't quite what we had in mind when we uh you know started thinking and planning for easter a few weeks ago Uh, But we're happy that you're with us, whether you're regular with us here at Faith Community, uh, or maybe you're on because someone invited you, they shared a link maybe more than a few times, uh, or maybe you always find a place of worship for Easter Sunday and you found us here somehow. Uh, Whatever brings you here this morning, uh, we're just glad to be celebrating Easter with you, uh, even if we can't really be with you. We always look forward to Easter Sunday at Faith Community. Uh, There are always lots of guests and uh, lots of familiar faces, lots of kids everywhere, just a ton of energy. And the reason that Easter is so important to me, why it's such a big deal to me, and really the reason that Easter is such a big deal to Christians all over the world is that Easter is the anchor to our faith. If Easter is true, if the resurrection is true, then it's game on for everything and all things Christian. If the resurrection did not happen, then it's game over because everything hinges, everything hangs on this event in history that we refer to as the resurrection. It's why we say that the resurrection of Jesus is really what launched the church. And the resurrection of Jesus is what launched what we call Christianity. Before the resurrection, there were no Christians. When Jesus was crucified, everybody thought that Jesus would do what everybody who dies does. They figured he would just stay, what? dead. Right? When people die, they generally stay dead. And when Jesus died, everybody, even the people who loved him the most, uh, they just expected that he was going to stay dead because that's what dead people do. Nobody was at the tomb that Easter morning counting backwards from 10, you know, like 10, 9, 8, cue the sun, 7, 6, nobody's out there doing that. And when they looked into the empty tomb, everybody was uh, surprised because nobody was expecting no body. Nobody expected no body. It was a complete surprise. In fact, they looked into the empty tomb. Nobody said, he's alive. He's alive. Everybody said they stole the body. They've taken him. They stole the body. We've got to go find the body of Jesus because nobody expect, expected no body. The Apostle Paul who wrote to some christians living in corinth in the first century summarized it beautifully and i i want to read the apostle what the apostle paul said and then i want to tell you why what he said is so extremely important and so extremely relevant for every single one of us so this is what he wrote to the christians living in corinth this is this is what he said in 1 corinthians uh, chapter 15 verse 1. now brothers and sisters i want to remind you of the gospel i preached to you which you received, and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. Verse three. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Well, what's that, Paul? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, because that's what you do with a dead body, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the apostle Peter, And then to the 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. This is Paul's way of saying, fact check me. Go ahead, ask them. It's like, Google me, you know, fact check me. Though some have fallen asleep. And then he wraps up this way. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, since the resurrection is the thing, since everything in Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection, here's what we want to do this morning. We want to to do three things and talk to three groups of people uh, in our few minutes together. First of all, I want to assure all of you who believe, I want to assure all of you who believe but sometimes wonder. Because don't we all wonder sometimes, you know, is this for real? Could this be true? I want to assure all of you who believe like me but sometimes wonder that there is more to this life thanks to the resurrection. And for those of you who wonder, how could anyone in the 21st century believe such crazy things, I want to talk to this group. Maybe you find yourself sitting through a presentation like this and your arms are kind of crossed, and you're like, really? How can people in the 21st century continue to believe these kinds of things? Dead people don't come back to life. So if that's you, hopefully today we can help to remove one objection, one objection that you might have toward faith, in case you ever decide you know, to explore the claims of Jesus, we're just glad that you're online with us this morning. And then for those of you who may wonder if you could ever believe again, because maybe you're like me, maybe you were raised in the church and you went to camp and you got the shirt and you threw your stick on the fire and you dedicated your life and you signed a card and you were baptized and maybe you went on a, on a mission trip and then you went off to school. Or maybe you went off to graduate school and people started asking very, very difficult questions about religion and about Jesus and about the Bible. And you went home at break time and all you got were Sunday school answers to your very adult questions and you started to lose your faith. We're hoping today to give you a stepping stone back to the faith of your childhood. The interesting thing is this for all three groups. For those of us who believe but sometimes wonder, for those who wonder how could anybody believe, and for those of you who wonder what it would be like to believe again, the key for all of us is found in this passage of Scripture that I just read. It shows us all the way forward, and uh, here's why I say that. The primary argument against the legitimacy of the Christian faith, the primary argument against the legitimacy of the Christian faith uh, all over the world, really, is... The resurrection. And the argument goes like this that the resurrection's a myth. And it's a myth that results from multiple decades of oral transmission that was exaggerated and changed over time to suit the agenda of a later generation of Christians. So let me just tease that out for you. Essentially, the argument goes like this that people told stories. And then their listeners told stories, and their listeners told stories, and the next generation, and on and on, they told stories. And by the time that any of these things about Jesus were written down, uh, so much time had gone by, all the eyewitnesses now were dead. And then by the time they wrote these things down, they'd fabricated and made up so much of the details to make Jesus something that Jesus never claimed to be. The argument is that basically the written accounts, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the written accounts were too far removed from the actual events to be accurate, uh, an accurate kind of account of actual events. So in other words, maybe what you were taught in school or maybe something you read or something that you saw on YouTube or somebody gave you a book to read. And they argued that, hey, you can't believe that what the gospels say about anything Jesus said or did, and certainly not the resurrection, because those things were written so far after the events. All the eyewitnesses were gone and let's just like, okay, the resurrection is a myth that grew up over decades and decades and decades of oral transmission. So that's the classic argument uh, against the resurrection, which which makes it really the classic argument against all of Christianity, that the resurrection is legend and hearsay and embellishment. So today I want to try to explain to you why you can have extraordinary confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you ready for this? Here we go. All scholars agree, and all scholars don't agree on much, but all scholars agree that the Apostle Paul was a real person who lived in the first century, that he's not some made-up Bible person. Everybody across... Uh, all of scholarship believes that the Apostle Paul lived during the first century and they agree that he had extraordinary influence on Christianity. You won't find a scholar anywhere who doesn't agree with the statement that the Apostle Paul, who lived in the first century, had extraordinary, extraordinary influence on Christianity. He was the real deal. He was a real person. He really lived. Now, the interesting thing is I just read a passage to you from one of Paul's uh, undisputed letters, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians was written around the year 55. Let me put this in context, a little bit of history, a little bit of kind of timeline. And this is kind of simple, but it is extraordinarily important. Most scholars agree that Jesus was crucified around 30 or 32 AD. Uh, the letter to the church in Corinth was written in the year 55. Now he wrote this letter as perhaps you might know after he visited uh, with some Christians in Corinth and that visit took place around 52. So he went to Corinth in 52 and he planted a church there. He helped them start a church in Corinth. Then he went home to his home base and he wrote them a letter and we call it 1 Corinthians. That letter was written around 55. Nobody disputes that. And I think this explains Paul's use of some past tense in this passage that I just read. So I want to read it to you again with the historical context. So here it is. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. So he's reminding them of what he taught them when he was with them. He's reminding them what he taught them when he was with them in 52 AD, that he's writing to them now in 55. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he's reminding them what he taught them when he was with them, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse three, for what I've received, so now Paul's telling them that what someone else told him, that he told them when he was with them. Get that? Paul says, I'm about to tell you what somebody told me that I told you when I was with you, and now I'm writing about what I told you, that they told me that I told you when I was with you. Still with me? The point of all this is that this information he's about to remind them of in this letter, the letter to the Corinthians, this information had actually been around for a while. The Apostle Paul wasn't you know, making this up when he wrote to them about it. That wasn't the first time they'd heard it because he'd been there and he'd shared with them a few years before. So this information, this message didn't start with him. He's basically saying, I just passed on to you what somebody else passed on to me. And here's what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of great importance. So what's so important, Paul? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried. So we need to know this. No one disputes that Jesus was executed by the Romans. So he says, so what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. So then we get to the part that people like to argue about, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, if you're paying attention, this is where we just need to put our foot on the brake and say, wait, 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 let's, let's get into this. So Paul wrote this in 55, after telling folks about it in 52, that Jesus rose from the dead, this is just 20 years after the event. Now, if you're 25 years old, 20 years seems like a long time. If you're 50-ish, 20 years uh, wasn't all that long ago, right? So the point of all this, the apostle Paul clearly believed that Jesus rose from the dead And this is 20 years after the event and he said somebody told me that Jesus rose from the dead here's something else we ought to know this was not the apostle Paul's first trip to plant a church in the year 44 he went to Cyprus and he told the folks there in that region of the world exactly what he told the Corinthians so in 44 the apostle Paul is already telling people that Jesus rose from the dead and Paul said he knew what he knew he knew that Jesus rose from the dead because somebody told him Jesus rose from the dead, to which, again, we're like, wait, 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 let's, let's explore this. Because we're told that the resurrection is a legend that grew up over time through oral transmission. It was never written about, never documented until decades later after all the eyewitnesses were gone and passed away. But now, hey, we have in our New Testament, in our English Bible, a letter that says Jesus rose from the dead, and that letter is written 20 years uh, after the actual events, saying, I told you, now I'm writing to tell you and remind you what I told you. It goes on, Paul goes on, verse four. That he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's, that's uh, Peter, and then to the 12. So what you have is this, just 12 years after the, resur- after the crucifixion and, the, and the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, somewhere around Cyprus, Paul is claiming that Jesus appeared to Peter and the other apostles just 12 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. So it's not even 20, not even 30, not 40, certainly not 50 or more. 12 years after the crucifixion, the apostle Paul is claiming that Peter and the apostles believed that Jesus rose from the dead because he had appeared to them. Listen, the first accounts of the resurrection of Jesus are not in the Gospels. They're not in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John because the Gospels were actually written down later. And that's why secular and non-believing scholars make the case that, you know what, we don't know when Matthew was written, we don't know when Mark was written, we don't know when Luke was written, we don't know when John was written, we don't even know if John wrote John, we aren't sure about who wrote parts of Matthew. So we don't know when these things happen. This all must have come many, many years after the resurrection. The problem with that argument is that the Apostle Paul was talking about the resurrection within just a few years of the actual event because Paul became a believer just a few years, possibly quite as few as uh, as five years after the resurrection and then he met with eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus because they were still living at that time. So there's more. New Testament scholars believing and unbelieving New Testament scholars, scholars of all sorts are convinced that some of what the Apostle Paul said in that passage that I just read in 1 Corinthians, that part of these words were part of a pre-existing creed. Now most of us in non-denominational churches, like ours, uh, we don't use creeds, we don't know much about creeds, but if you grew up in a more traditional or liturgical church, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you memorized creeds and there were, they were a regular part of your worship experience. So here's what a creed is. A creed is a carefully crafted, usually very memorable series of statements that were used to ensure accurate transmission or of important information, especially when it came to religious things. And here's why. Because in the first century, very few people could read or write. In fact, uh, if you were in a really large city, maybe 12 to 15 percent of the people could read or write. When you got outside the big cities, virtually nobody could read or write. So how would they communicate very important information to people who couldn't read and write? They'd put it in the form of poems or songs or these creeds and they crafted them in such a way that they were easy to communicate to help people learn. That's the power of a creed. Now in this letter that's written about 20 years after the resurrection, the Apostle Paul quotes a creed that had already existed that was already in circulation, that was already so popular that Christians had already memorized this. In fact, we don't know if it was originally written in Greek. It may have been, it may have been written in Aramaic, but even in English, you can kind of get the rhythm of this creed. Here it is. He says, Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. So here's what scholars tell us. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians and he's explaining to them, this is the gospel. This is the essence. This is what everything hinges on this. This is the most important thing. He included part of a creed that they probably already knew. The importance of this is this, that the resurrection by this time was already so widely accepted that it had been summarized and included in a creed for the church that Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen.
1: Now, does all of this prove that Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be? No, absolutely not. Does this prove that Jesus rose from the dead? Absolutely not. But here's what we don't want you to miss, and here is where we want you to lock in. Paul's letter to the Corinthians is evidence that people in Jerusalem who saw Jesus die believed he rose from the dead. You cannot get around this, that Paul's letter is strong evidence that when he wrote the letter, there were already people living in Jerusalem who believed Jesus rose from the dead. And these were men and women who had seen Jesus die. Paul's letter proves two things. Paul's letter proves first that the resurrection of Jesus was not a product of decades of oral transmission. In other words, this totally refutes that whole argument because he documented it. He writes and wrote down in that letter that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and was seen. He's the first person to put it in writing. And it wasn't 100 years after the event. It wasn't even 50 years after the event. And it wasn't years after all the eyewitnesses had passed away. He got his information from eyewitnesses and Then he names the eyewitnesses. And then in another letter, he talks about his visit to Jerusalem to talk to those eyewitnesses to get the scoop. And Paul's letter proves something else. Paul's letter proves that belief in the resurrection was documented while eyewitnesses were still eyewitnessing. And this is huge. Now some skeptics may say, well, maybe he was lying. Maybe Paul made all that up. How? no, No reputable scholar, I want you to know, in the history of the world has ever accused the Apostle Paul of being a liar. Did you know that? Skeptics, unbelievers, agnostics, atheists, professors, they may believe a whole lot of things and disbelieve a lot of things, but no one has ever accused or said, you know what? The Apostle Paul wrote this. This is when he wrote it, and we think he made the whole thing up. And the reason nobody has ever accused the Apostle Paul of fabricating all of this is because his life validated his belief. His life validated his belief because nobody disputes the fact that the Apostle Paul was an educated man. He was a well-connected man, probably a Pharisee. And that he left the comforts of home, he left his wealth, he left his family, he left his entire belief system, and he did the most dangerous thing imaginable in those days. He got on a ship and he traveled abroad to all the major port cities around the Mediterranean Rim. And do you know what he did? He went to meet with Jews to try to convince them that Jesus was the Son of God. And they threw him out of the synagogues. And then worse, he went to Gentiles. Now this is going to sound difficult for us living in 21st century America. We can't even imagine the emotions that are associated with all of this. The Apostle Paul went to Gentiles in that first century and tried to convince them that God had sent a Jew to be their savior. Well, they're not buying this. This is why Paul was stoned, was so badly treated, was shipwrecked, was imprisoned. This is why he caused riots. Everywhere the Apostle Paul went, there was trouble because this message was so extraordinarily offensive, you see. And that's why scholars all believe the Apostle Paul was absolutely convinced that what he was saying was true because nobody, I mean, nobody would do that otherwise. And in his letter to the church at Corinth, that one letter alone proves that Christians did not create Christianity. Oral tradition did not create Christianity. And here's something, even the Bible, the Bible did not create Christianity because the Bible didn't exist as we know it until the 5th century. His letter to the Corinthians proves that the resurrection, that is, the resurrection of Jesus, is what launched Christianity. And in fact, only a resurrection, only a resurrection could explain the courage of those who had just seen Jesus crucified when they were arrested and brought to trial and imprisoned and tortured and martyred as well. Friends, nothing but the resurrection explains extraordinary courage of Peter and John and the other apostles. Get this, when they were arrested by the same men who arrested and tried Jesus, and when they were eyeball to eyeball with men that held their lives in their hands, they were asked, well, in whose name are you preaching? And here's what they said, quote, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then they looked at the very men that crucified Jesus and they said, uh, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That's the end of the quote. Now, don't miss this. The resurrection was central in the early Christian message. This is not decades later. This was a few weeks later when Peter and John were arrested, and they they were facing again the very same men who have the power to crucify them, even as Jesus was crucified. They went on, and they said this, Salvation, and this is the message for all of us, they said, Salvation is found in no one else, for God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now here's the thing we don't want you to miss. No one, no one was this bold when staring at a crucifixion or or a scourging, the potential for being crucified, or being beaten almost to death. Nobody had this much courage. And this is the point at which men and sometimes women were on their knees begging for mercy, And then Luke, who thoroughly investigated all these things, Luke tells us that when the people who had arrested Peter and John saw their courage, they realized something. They realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. They were actually astonished at that, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And when they were warned to no longer speak in that name, Here's what they said. Well, which is right? Which is right? Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And then they said to him, as for us, we cannot stop. We cannot help speaking about what we believe. No, it wasn't that. It was what we have seen and heard because these eyewitnesses saw Jesus die. And then they peered into an empty tomb, and they assumed that somebody had stolen the body, but later they had breakfast with their friend on the beach. You see, you can't scare men and women who don't fear death. And you can't scare men and women who have been eyeball to eyeball with the resurrection and the life. And that's how all of this really got started. That's how it all began, based on an event that changed their lives. And it has changed my life. (laughs) And I hope it has changed your life as well. It has changed the world, and it continues to change the world. And the event that I speak of was simply this. And it was a creed that early Christians learned. Many of them couldn't even read or write. But they committed this to memory, and some of you may have too. And that creed says, Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Let me repeat. He died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. So for those of you who, like most of us, believe, but you sometimes wonder I just want you to know that your faith and your hope is not in vain. And for those of you who wonder how anybody could still believe such things, well, now you know. And for those of you who wonder if you'll ever be able to believe again, because you've always gotten the simple Sunday school answers to your adult questions, I want to invite you back. I want you to reconsider the faith of your childhood because perhaps, just perhaps, there was more of it and more to it than anyone ever told you. And you know what? There is no day better than this day. There's no day better in the whole calendar year than this day to acknowledge the name that stands above every other name, the name of Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins and was buried, who rose from the dead and was seen. So on a pretty regular basis here at Faith Community, we give people an opportunity to respond to the invitation of Jesus because we believe, as exclusive and as narrow as it might seem, we believe that there is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved, by which a person can be confident of their standing and their relationship with God. So what I'd like to do, and this is the best day of the year, as I said, to affirm this decision, what we want to do is give you an opportunity to have a moment in time to do this and to give you an opportunity I'm no lo- to say I'm no longer trusting in my church attendance or my goodness or my charity work or my prayers or my good intentions, or some decision that my parents made for me. I'm no longer trusting in any of that. I'm transferring all my trust from all of that to the one who walked out of that tomb. I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ. My friend, that is how you find abundant life in this life. That's where you find meaning. For this life, that's where you find peace for your soul, and it's where you find the assurance and the confidence of eternity in the presence of God. Now, I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you've never prayed a prayer like this before, and maybe as we were talking, something inside of you kind of went, Oh, okay, okay, I get it. I want to lead you in this prayer and and you can pray silently, you can whisper it, you can change the words to your pleasing. This prayer doesn't make you a Christian. The prayer itself is simply an expression of faith by which you are telling God, today is my day. This is my moment in time. Yes, Easter 2020, I'm placing all my trust in Jesus as my personal an eternal Savior. So I'm asking, right where you are, would you quietly bow your head with me and would you pray saying, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that when he died, he died for the sins of the world. And I believe he died for my sin. Today, I receive him as my savior. I'm placing all of my trust in him. All of my confidence is in him. I'm no longer trusting in my background or my church attendance or my prayers or my own attempts at goodness. I'm trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a clean heart. Receive me into your family as your son or as your daughter. And we pray in the only name by which we can be saved. In the name of Jesus, amen. Oh, now, if you prayed that prayer with me just now, I would be so honored if you would take a minute to click on the button in the top right of your screen that says connect and fill out a connect card. There's a place there on that form where you can say that today you became a follower of Jesus. What a wonderful thing. Or that you would like to know more about having a relationship with Jesus. If you would take just a minute and fill out that form, we would love to hear from you. And for any of you that are guests today, maybe you came on this this program uh, as a result of an invitation of a friend. Maybe this is your first time to worship with us. Thank you for checking out Church Online and for staying with us all the way to the end. Wow, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card, too. Let us know your thoughts about your experience this morning. And everything on that card will apply to, not everything is going to apply to our online experience, but, but we'd love to hear from you. And we hope to get to meet you in person real soon. Would you please let me pray with and for you as we part today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our Father, our good, good Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our eternal Savior and our friend. We are so blessed to be welcomed as part of your forever family. We're grateful today that lives have been touched and hearts have been changed and eternities have been Uh, decided and folks have found Church Online and have been inspired and encouraged and helped by it. Holy Spirit continue to bless, continue to comfort, continue to encourage every person that's listening in today and part of the Church Online congregation. Yeah, church buildings may be empty today, But fear not, so is the tomb. And with that thought, we give you thanksgiving, dear Lord, and we give you praise, for we pray all these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.